be enough. Jesus has some things to say about where we find treasure in and what we do with treasure and what will be enough. And Kevin did a great job. I listened to it yesterday morning as we were driving. I loaded it up. It was kind of funny. I had my phone there. We've got one of those magnet dash phone things there. And I loaded up our church podcast. And Carrie looks over at me and she goes, you're listening to yourself? And I was like, no, I'm listening to Kevin. I need to know what he said. And he just did a great job. And here's the thing. I don't know how we did it in 32 minutes. It takes me like 47 to get there. And so I'm going to take his time from last week. And No, I'm kidding. All right. Just a great job. And here's where he had us, okay? That the things we treasure, the things that we think will be enough, that really aren't actually ever going to be enough, they reflect their location. And Jesus says, hey, don't, don't store up treasure where moth and rust will destroy. You know, if it ain't broke, it will be. The things we treasure are directed to where we look. So where are our eyes? What are our eyes looking at? Are they on Jesus? Is he the one that we say, you know what, you're enough? And then how does that work itself out in the really practical day-to-day aspects of what we spend and how we save and what we do with generosity. And the things we treasure reveal who we love. And Jesus says this, you cannot serve God and money. Earlier in that passage, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think we can be tempted to reverse verse 21, quite frankly. That our treasure follows our heart. That we're going to We're going to treasure what our heart desires, but that's not what that verse says. It says that your heart's going to desire where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And this morning, as we continue in Matthew 6 and unpack verses 25 to 34, this text really only works if what Kevin said last week is applied and you're all in. This text this morning and what Jesus has to say this morning only works for those who are all in. And he's going to say it four different times. Three of them are going to be negative commands. And I don't mean negative in terms of bad. I mean negative in terms of do not commands. Three different times in these nine verses Jesus is going to say do not do something. And then one time he's going to positively say do this. But it only works if you're all in. It only works if you're all in. I think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. The story's in Mark 10. You don't have to turn there. I will. There's just one thing I wanted to point out specifically. But the rich young ruler comes to Jesus in Mark 10. He says, Jesus, I'm doing all the things that are written in the Ten Commandments. I'm obeying all of those things. What else? Is there anything else? And he goes, you're missing one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will have, and here's what Jesus says, treasure in heaven. Sound familiar? Sound like what Kevin walked us through last week? Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust are stored, 
or destroy, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven. So somehow this man selling everything gets him treasure in heaven. Jesus says, come, follow me. Verse 22 of Mark 10, we're told that disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And this man and these possessions he had revealed and reflected their location. Certainly was directed as to where he looked and revealed what he loved. And so last week was about where our true security could be found. And how to find it. This week, Jesus, I believe, answers the next logical question. It's not a question recorded in the text, but I believe it's the next logical question that follows his teaching about laying up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And that question would be, all right, I'm all in. So I'm not going to lay up and put my security and my, my hope and treasure here on earth. I'm going to store up for myself treasure in heaven. But what about my meal tomorrow? What about the clothes that I'm going to need? What about, I think it's the next logical question that gets asked. You see, we're, we're prone, and I believe this is exactly why Jesus said what he said last week and moves into what he has to say this week. We're prone to look around us at the things we have and go, oh, we're safe. Oh, we're Secure, oh, we have a freezer with a half a cow in it. We're, we're good for a while. And yet Jesus is saying, no, you, you go all in on me. You push all your chips in. Don't store up for yourself things here that can spoil. I got home yesterday afternoon. I went down to the freezer to just see if it was still cold. I had friends that came home from vacation last year, and, and they had a breaker trip, and their freezer was done. Like, oh, all right. <laughs> Just so you make sure that's still cold. Store up for yourself things that won't spoil, things that won't rust, things that won't be destroyed. And this morning, Jesus unpacks, I think, the next logical question, and he addresses then what happens as we begin to place that faith and trust? And he begins to step in to say, I got it. I got it. You are all in. I'm enough. And I think that's what we're going to see in the text. So let's pray and we'll hop in to the text and unpack it a little further. God, would you... This morning, be gracious to us and meet with us. God, would you, would you remind us that you are enough? God, may we not be like that rich young man who was unable or unwilling to follow you because of what you called him to do. God, may we live with open hands 
hands that, that certainly receive from you, but hands that do not hold and do not grasp to somehow never let go. God, would you keep us from believing the lie that the things here that we may have at home, the possessions or the bank accounts or the retirement accounts or whatever that may be is where security is. And I was reminded of those truths just a couple days ago, speaking with a pastor friend of mine from Chicago who was saying, yeah, well, if everything does go awry, you still got it. God, help us to believe that. Would you increase our faith in who you are? We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. I want to read the passage with you. It's a little longer than some of the others that we've done, but we'll read it and then we'll hop back in and try to make sense of it along the way. Beginning in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think you might have heard that word repeated throughout those verses, the word anxious. And that word is where we have the the three negative commands or the central command of this passage expressed negatively. And we begin to see that first in verse 25, right in the beginning there, where Jesus says, Therefore, he's now beginning to say, "In, in light of what I taught you, Just a moment ago, for us it would be, in light of what Kevin said last week, here's a summary and a way to apply it. And the command I have for you is do not be anxious about your life. Jesus is telling us not to do something. So we may be prone to anxiety about food and clothing and drink. He's specifically commanding us to not be anxious He's telling us not to do something. And here we have the central command negatively expressed. And in verses 26 
to 30, we have then the explanation of the command. Jesus says, first, look at the birds. And your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Jesus is saying, look, the birds aren't out planting seed for themselves. The birds aren't cultivating the earth to allow that seed to grow. The birds aren't reaping that seed as it grows up and becomes a corn stalk or a tomato plant or whatever it may be. They're not storing those things in barns so they can go back to them and have them when they need them. And you know what happens every day? The birds eat. Now, it's interesting as you think about the comparison between birds and lilies, and I don't want to overpress this, but I think it is worth saying the birds do work, though. They fly and they start pecking at the ground and they, they go and find worms or they find seed. Carrie's dad's big into uh, just kind of all things outdoors, gardening things, all those kind of things. And we had some bird seed hanging out in the porch and he's like you know you probably shouldn't feed the birds during the summer because the birds will get lazy and the birds are going to not know how to go and find food for themselves so go ahead and put that out in the winter and I never stopped to consider that before and it's like okay all right that makes sense but the birds are doing something and it was really funny we had that late snowfall this past spring where it was just a couple inches but it was enough to cover everything and out on the sidewalk that leads over to the doors um, in the church, into the, right by where the library comes in, um, there was a portion of the sidewalk, only about six inches wide, that didn't have snow because of the soffits that came down from the roof. The snow couldn't get down to that spot. And all along there were just lined up blackbirds. And they were like, we, we're not touching that. I mean, I, my imagination starts kind of getting, where like one of them's like, all right, Bill, you go. You go first, and then then we'll follow. And and they're just not going because they can't get into the grass, and there's not worms to be found because it's just covered with a blanket of snow. But the birds are out working. Now, they're not planting and reaping and gathering and storing, but I, I think part of the big idea here is the birds aren't creating food for themselves. God's providing it, but he's doing it through their work. He's doing it through their work. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say to his, the churches in First and Second Thessalonians that he wrote to about how we're to be busy with work. We're not just to depend on somebody else to provide all our needs if we're capable of providing for our own needs. And that is certainly one of the ways that God provides for us. God provides for my family's food and clothing needs by my ability to work, budget, and purchase. And God does that, and he does so in your life as well. That is one of the ways that God takes care of us, and we're to not be anxious about that. And there's this interesting question that gets asked there in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Here's, I think, the idea that the answer to the question is none of us. But the idea Jesus is trying to unpack for us is that instead of adding hours to your life, anxiety robs life from your hours. 
Instead of adding hours to your life, anxiety will rob life from your hours. You're not going to actually accomplish anything. If you spend the day sweating it out about all of these things, you're not going to find that the needle's been moved along the way. You're not actually productive at all, and all you've done is had life robbed from your hours. Which of you can add these things? And he continues in verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you of one of little faith? Jesus says, first of all, look at the birds. I think one of the big ideas there is that God provides for us through our work. But the lilies aren't doing that. I think the big idea there in part is God provides a part from our work. And he uses some really interesting language to try to unpack and some ways for us to get our minds wrapped around this. Consider the lilies. They're not doing anything, but they, they grow. And they're able to be beautiful. And Jesus says they're actually more beautiful, with more glory than Solomon, the richest man that the Bible has ever recorded to live. And Jesus asked the question, if God knows how to clothe the grass, if he knows how to make a field look beautiful with lilies, and giving the grass, and if you will, clothing, Will he not much more do so with you? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 verses 5 and 6 said this. We just unpacked this just a few months ago. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known on. To God. It's very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 6 earlier about when we pray. Do not heap up empty phrases and words like the Gentiles do, like the unbelievers do. Don't come and approach prayer as if you need to somehow say the right words at the right time in the right way so that somehow you cause God to pay attention to you. No, Jesus says, look, your heavenly Father already knows what you need before you ask it. And here Paul tells us, the Lord's at hand. 2018 paraphrase, God's got it. He's coming back. He's in control. He's got it. Don't be anxious then about anything. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known un. To God. Jesus then uses this expression in referring to these people who may be anxious and calls them those of little faith. And I think at its heart, at its root, anxiety 
about these daily things and the worry and the toil that comes with them reflects an understanding of God that is not accurate. I think Jesus is being real gracious here to us. It can sound perhaps, and it might feel perhaps as if he's not being real gracious, as he might be a little salty at this moment, saying that we're faithless to be anxious. But I think he's being gracious because he's inviting us in to place our faith and trust in the promises of God. It was a couple weeks ago in the CE hour, Kevin was teaching, and he took our focus and attention to Joshua 4 about the memorial stones that they were, the, the Israelites were instructed to create as a way to not just remember for themselves what the Lord had done, but also a way to teach their children. When the children happen upon the stones that they create, and they go, hey, why are these here? It's kind of an odd place for stones to find themselves. Well, let me, let me tell you about what God did. Let me tell you about that day. And, and Kevin had a really good challenge for us in that there, there should be really practical ways that we have some of these stones in our own lives and that they serve as both tangible reminders for us about what God did and teaching tools for those who come after us and how we can place our faith and trust in God. That's one of the reasons that being intergenerational as a church is so vitally important. Being intergenerational is vitally important because those who are older, who have gone before, are able to tell all of us young people, hey, let me tell you about that time God did this. Let me remind you in the midst of whatever dark day you have right now or whatever question you find yourself facing or whatever unknown you're walking into, let me tell you how God has provided for me. Let me remind you of the faithfulness he showed and demonstrated in my life. Let me take you back. Put your eyes on the faithfulness and the promises of God. And Jesus says, look, it's the Gentiles that seek after all of these things. He says, your heavenly Father knows what you need. In verse 31, I got just ahead of myself briefly, but we have the second central command. It's the same command. It's the second time that it gets expressed Verse 31, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the Gentiles, the unbelievers, those who do not have a relationship with God, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, or knows that you need them all. And if we allow the words from verse 8 of chapter 6 to also be a part of this, he knows before we even ask. And why wouldn't he? He's the one that spoke all of these things into being. He's the one who is sovereignly commanding all of these things to continue to exist. How would he not know? So it was this idea that got introduced into philosophical thought 
about who God was and his nature several decades ago. And the idea is referred to as deism. It's a way of saying, yeah, God exists. Sure, he created everything. He's there. But what he did is similar to somebody who makes a watch. And I'm wearing a watch this morning. And in the deist positions best understood this way that, you know, there was a, there was a watchmaker. Somebody made this. Somebody had to design how the gears inside of it were going to work and how the circuitry would draw power from the battery and how the numbers would be there. And you can't deny that there's a watchmaker. But you know what? The watchmaker is not continually making this watch work. Somebody made this. It, quite frankly, was probably mass-produced on some assembly line. And then they stepped back and they just, in theory, watch it run. That's such a dangerous, dangerous conclusion about who God is. It's one that may rightly say God created everything. You can see evidence of that. You, there is, in, in my opinion, no way that we can look at the complexity of our world and conclude anything other than there was an intelligent designer behind the design that has been made. But you know what? Deism would say, well, he stepped back. And he's just as surprised about the things you're going through as you are. The Bible says the complete opposite. The question of what you'll wear, the question of what you'll drink, the question of what you'll eat, as we've seen in other passages, is just a way for us to see Jesus talking first of the most basic things in life, and the argument there is one from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, look, God, God's, God's, he's very very aware of what your needs are. He's very aware of what's going on. He is not the blind watchmaker who finds himself just as surprised at what you're going through as you find yourself surprised. He's not the one you have to somehow say the right words in the right way at the right time and conjure up his attention. No, he's your heavenly father. And he knows what you need before you ask. And it's in verse 33 then we have our central command positively expressed. Here Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, but seek first the kingdom of God. There's the major contrast. Twice already we've had him say, Do not do something, do not be anxious. God's got it, He's going to take care of you. Just think of the birds, think of the lilies. Do not be anxious, don't be like the unbelievers, because you have a heavenly Father. And he knows what you need, and He's going to provide for what you need, and His provision will be timely. It will be what you need, when you need it, and to the proportion that you need it. His grace is sufficient. So what are you and I then to do? If we're not to be anxious, what are we to do? We're to seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Here the big idea is that the antidote to anxiousness is seeking. 
the antidote to anxiousness is seeking. Later in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote about how being brought low, how he knew how to abound, how he learned how to be brought low. And it's through the strength of Christ that he can do all things. To try to unpack with you this morning what it is to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to give you three A's. I don't typically like alliterating things. It just is what happened as I was preparing for this. The first is one of aiming. The second one is of applying. And the third is adding. Firstly, to aim. If we're going to try to understand what it means to seek, if that's the command that we're to go out and follow, we know we're not to be anxious, and, and, and that, that's a, a command to not do something, but here's a command to do something, and so we're going to aim. We're going to aim for our life, even our financial priorities. We're going to aim those for the glory of God. That's what's going to be what captures our focus. This still has in view treasure. Certainly when we pull in clothing, money, drink, eating, or it certainly has money as a part of it. I think this passage is so much broader than that. It's so much deeper than that. But we aim our life's priorities, including our financial priorities, for the glory of of God. We exist for the glory of God to make disciples who make disciples. And our life's priorities are to reflect that. Secondly, we apply biblical principles to our finances. I think that's for us here and now one of One of, not the only, but one of the major ways that God provides for us. God provides for us by allowing us to work and earn a living. But that wage, that paycheck, needs to be used in a way that reflects the biblical principles God has given us for managing money. So we apply biblical principles to our finances, which first begins with generous giving. Generous giving, the idea throughout the scriptures from really Cain and Abel on forward all the way into the New Testament is that we we give of our first fruits. I've told you before that the tithe is an Old Testament law that we're not bound by. Generosity is what now captures the focus of the New Testament believer. So there's generous giving that we focus on. It's how we begin to approach this idea of applying biblical principles to our finance. Secondly, I think it includes balanced budgets. You don't spend more than you make. Fairly simple concept, but we have a balanced Budget. These are things we've worked real hard to do as a, as a church, even. Thirdly, I think it, ha- it includes savings. A couple days before Carrie and I drove to Indiana, almost two weeks now, 
we had a several hundred dollar band bill. The total integrated control power module on our van went bad. Translation, little part that costs a lot of money and controls everything. It went bad. And applying biblical principles to our finances over years of time allowed us to go, that stings a bit, but we've got the money in savings, we can fix the van, and we can keep going. This is one of the ways that God provides for us. It's not the only way, but as you're able to earn a wage and as you're able to have funds that come home, we we have a responsibility to focus and apply biblical principles to our finances. Lastly, I think one of the biblical principles that we need to be also mindful of is that we and our finances are held with open hands. I've said it many times before, I think it's Proverbs 17, 19, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him. Open hands. Do we need balanced budgets? Absolutely. Do we need money set aside in savings? Absolutely. Do I need to be just as ready and willing to give to somebody who may have an acute need as I am to go pay the Dodge dealership to fix the total incorporated power control module? Absolutely. And there's open hands. Because at the end of the day, these things aren't my things. These are things that I have been given and entrusted with. And God provides for those practical needs, eating, drinking, clothing, computer modules, those things through the ability to earn a wage and then the the biblical principles of how to use that money wisely. That is one of the way God provides for us. But he does so also as we live with open hands. We can't miss that. And that's our third A, adding. Adding these things to others. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. I'm contending that there are times that the Lord uses us to add these things to others. That's why adding is in quotations. The Lord gives these things. He adds these things to us as we seek him. However, he uses us as conduits of his grace to add these things to others. Kevin mentioned it last week. and I wrote a letter about it about a month ago now. Deacons met a significant need earlier. That is the result, and the ability to do that is the result of several of you giving generously to the deacon fund so that those needs can be met when they arise. And in that letter, I asked you to consider giving over and above what you would give normally to just keep the lights on and all of those things, and about $1,000 has come in to replenish that. 
That's one of the ways we can add these things to other people. One of the ways that God does that through us. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 says this, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He's talking about giving generously to one another, adding these things to one another. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that their abundance may supply your needs so that there may be fairness. Now I don't believe for a moment that there was a ledger in the church in Corinth that they were keeping track of these things with. There certainly is not in our church. Here's the big idea. As the Lord through your ability to work and your financial wisdom and applying biblical principles as you're able to have dollars set aside and needs arise you with open hands give freely to go and meet the needs of others and to answer the question that might arise well what happens when I have a need and now I don't have anything left to provide for that the idea is is that it's reciprocated if the need ever arises We add these things to one another. I think we need to aim our lives and our financial priorities for the glory of God. We need to certainly apply biblical principles to our finance, that of generous giving, that of balanced budgets, that of savings, that of having open hands so that then we can be God's conduits of grace. To supply the needs that others may have in their time of need. I think that's how we can seek practically. To seek his kingdom and his righteousness is just living for the glory of God. Obeying and walking in obedience for the glory of God. Being a disciple who makes a disciple for the glory of God. But to practically apply that at the level where needs are considered, I think we aim and we apply and we add. It's in verse 34 that our central command is again negatively expressed. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I think there we have just a summary of what Jesus instructed us to pray earlier in this chapter. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't be anxious about what tomorrow looks like. Give us this day our daily bread. And this works if you're all in. The struggle is that it's hard to be all in. It's hard to be all in. And I tell you time and time again, as I reflect back on I'm, I'm just, and I've been married almost 13 years, so that's when what I call adult decisions began to be made. You know, when mom and dad didn't pay for everything and now the bill was on my shoulders. As I think back over those almost 13 years and I think back at the desire to aim 
finances for God's glory and apply biblical principles and be generous to others as those needs arrive. There's never been one time that Carrie and I have had a financial or even practical need that we've never been able to meet. A couple, almost a couple weeks ago, we began reflecting on the two-year anniversary of bringing Tobin home. And it was just a reminder of God's faithfulness in, in, in a hundred ways. But there was never one bill we had to pay that we did not have cash for to pay. And some of that is the direct result of your generosity, and you know who you are. You had abundance, and you gave generously. And as I've talked with others, I have not yet met one person who is seeking to aim their finances for God's glory, apply biblical principles, and be generous to others that would say, God didn't meet my needs back then when I had them. To a person, every single one of them has said, God did it because he's faithful. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into and wanting us to look past checking account balances and look past retirement saving balances and look past freezers full of food and look past all of these things and look to him. He's inviting us to, to gaze up saying, look, as you do, I got this. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own because you are faithful. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us to do that. Those things are much easier preached than they are lived. Quite frankly, it's very easy to stand up here and to say that. And it is another thing to do it. So God, I pray that you would even give us the grace that we need to trust you. That we wouldn't be those of little faith. We would, we would look to you that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness that we would practically, daily, place our faith and trust in you for these things. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.